Well, it is great to be here. It's a great privilege to preach uh, today. I have uh, a good friend of mine who was, uh, we went to school together at Oklahoma Baptist. He's a, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, and he, he actually tweeted out something. I'm not a big Twitter follower, but I do follow some. And uh, he mentioned his responsibility and his church's responsibility. I thought, oh, this is very appropriate for us. Said to uh, the best way we can steward this day and living here in this freedom, he said, We are commanded to pray, we are compelled to preach, and we are commissioned to go. I thought, I want to be, we want to be faithful at First Baptist Church to do all of that to pray and acknowledge that God is sovereign, to ask for God's wisdom on our leaders, to be faithful to preach God's word week after week. And as we leave, even today, that we would be reminded that we are commissioned to go and share the the love of Christ uh, to the nations. And so it is a great joy to be here. So today, I want to ask that you'd open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. So this will be part one of a two-part series, but we are going to study two different passages. Uh, One passage today, Matthew 11, and Lord willing, the next uh, passage next Sunday, and that's Matthew 28. The idea, the truth that we want to see is how Jesus commands us to come, and he also commands us to go. And so it's very important in in, in that order as well, that we come to Jesus, we learn who he is, we we allow him to take the yoke that that we carry apart from Christ, to take that yoke, and then also after we give that yoke to him and come to Jesus, Lord willing, again next week we'll see uh, his command to go. As we already mentioned, this, uh, today and this weekend is a, is a weekend that's set aside by our nation to uh, just to enjoy and to celebrate the freedom we have as a country. I know many of us have, have either already enjoyed some plans with family or friends or getting ready to uh, enjoy those uh, throughout the day. And there's middle, many symbols of that freedom that we have. One is you know, just maybe this evening there, there might be some fireworks in your plans uh, just to enjoy and uh, to, to celebrate our freedom through fireworks. But there's also, I mean, just various symbols like the bald eagle, the, the flag, or the liberty bell, or the Statue of Liberty. I want to just uh, mention that uh, this morning, the Statue of Liberty, Liberty, because one of the things that, even though that was uh, given to us later, after um, years later, after 1776, once it was given, it quickly became a symbol of, of freedom and, and of the, the freedom we have in this country. And there was a, um, on that statue, or at the bottom of the statue, on the, on the foundation, there's a poem that was written by Emma Lazarus. And, and the last four or five lines of that poem is probably the most familiar. And in that it says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And so when we hear those words, we think of just the freedom that we have and, and the invitation to come and to enjoy the freedom here in this country. But then we quickly realize that even that freedom that we have, it's limited. It's limited by just, you know, the number of people in this country. It's limited by the scope and the power. It can only do so much. 
And so even though we are grateful for that freedom, there, if that if, is all we had, if the freedom of this country is all we had the rest of our life, we would for eternity be, eternity be longing and be condemned. But as Christians, we have such a greater freedom. And Matthew chapter 11 is a stunning invitation. It's an invitation given to all of us this morning found in Matthew chapter 11. And, and we're going to pay particular attention to the actual invitation found in verse 28 to begin with. We'll look at this invitation, and this morning we will we'll look at the context of the invitation, the call of the, of the invitation, the cost, the character of the one giving it, and the claim. And so first, let's look at the invitation itself. Matthew 11, you've already had it read. Verse 28, these three words, come to me. Come to me all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now, there is so much to unpack here. But those three words, come to me, as I mentioned, are the most stunning an attractive invitation that you and I will ever receive. Now, we've received, I'm sure, some great invitations in our day. I remember the invitation I received from a, for a five-year-old birthday party that was extremely exciting. Loved it. Sorry that you didn't receive that invitation, but it was given to me and made the most of it. But there's always something special about an invitation, receiving it what it will um, unpack, and what it, what it will allow us to enjoy. But here, Jesus offers an invitation that is unmatched, and he says, come, come to me. These three words are the gospel. Come to Jesus. If you forget any, everything else, remember that invitation, delight in it, respond to it, and share it, that we can come to Jesus. And if, as we think about that, think about a sovereign, the sovereign king, powerful, inviting sinners to come near him to enjoy his presence. That which throughout all redemptive history was very clear that there's no one in the flesh that can come in the presence of God. But yet Jesus Christ, God himself, is asking and, com- and inviting us to come. And we have throughout uh, the scripture as well, come to me, all over and over. Isaiah chapter 1. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. It's an invitation with, for, with a promise. And God commands it, he tells us, invites us, commands us to come. In Isaiah 55, the, the scripture says again, to the thirsty and the hunger, God says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and buy milk without money and without price. I want to encourage you when you have time this afternoon or this, this week, just to go t- to your, your Bible app or your computer screen and then just type in, in the Scripture, type in come. 
come to me and just track how many times there's an invitation from God to us to come. In John 7, Jesus says it to the hungry and thirsty. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And last, when you think of Jesus with his disciples and commanding his disciples to follow him, he says, he said to all the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So this invitation is broad and it's life-changing for all of us who are burdened by sin, discouraged by the reality that we face that burden every day apart from Christ. It's overwhelming. The unmet expectation, those of us who have unmet expectations, overwhelming guilt, the invitation is to come. However, if we only had these three words, come to me, if we knew nothing else, nothing except for this, this invitation, come to me, there, there would be a sense that you would want to know more. It's like, okay, well, why should I come? Do you have the power to deliver on your promise? And we, we think of this, I mean, this makes sense to us because we practice it or we're aware of it all the, you know, all the time. You think of an invitation, again, to a, or a ticket to a, an event. You have the piece of paper. You have the ticket. That ticket is only as good as, as the fact that it, if, if, if it gives you access to that event. You can imagine someone, in fact, this afternoon, one of the things that you might be doing, or a couple of you, you might have plans to attend the Durham Bulls baseball game. There's a game this afternoon. But right afterwards, if someone in this said, hey, I have an extra ticket, I want you to come. I just, I'm really wanting you to be with me, enjoy the time with me. I just want you to, to come along. And so you, you might, depending on that person, you might take them up on it, depending on your calendar, you might take them up on it, and you, you, you know that person's going to enjoy your presence and all of that, but you, there's a moment there that the invitation alone only gets you so far. Because you get to the ticket uh, agent, you get to the ticket person with a scanning device, and that whole afternoon, or this whole afternoon, that invitation was good. You changed plans, but at that moment where you're getting ready to show that ticket to the scanner— the person that scans the ticket. Your friend's word on, on getting you in the game means absolutely nothing. It meant a lot to get you close. But if you go and you scan that ticket and you get that, that awful embarrassing sound like, I, I don't even want to repeat the sound, but you know what it's like. It gives you a red X on the device and obviously your ticket wasn't valid. If you get that at that moment, your friend really doesn't, it doesn't matter what he or she says. In fact, if he or she says, no, go ahead and go on in. I want you to enjoy it with me. Go ahead and just, you know, just, you're with me. Just say you're with me and go on in. Like, no, you can't do that. So the invitation has to be, it has to come with authority. The reliability of the invitation is only as dependable as the authority of that person or that ticket in that situation. And so as we look at this, these three words in verse 28, come to me, and then the promise, come to me all who are labor, or who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's helpful to look at the context 
of that invitation. So look again, you, ha- you heard it read. Look at verse 25. 25 says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So here, God the Son is praising and worshiping God the Father. That Why? Why is he doing that? Because God the Father has the authority to conceal and to reveal. He alone has the authority to open our eyes or to harden our hearts. God is sovereign and God God the Son, Jesus, is praising God for that power and that authority. Matter of fact, not only does God have that authority, look at verse 26. Jesus goes on to say, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Some versions, your version might say, for such was your good pleasure. So not only does God have sovereign right and reign and access to our salvation, not only does God have that right, but it is good that he exercises that. Everything he does is good. And so God the Son is praising God the Father and acknowledging that that is a good thing. Again, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are not at odds. We are invited to come, but we must recognize and realize, and not just recognize, but worship God that He has all authority. He is sovereign. But now back to the invitation. Jesus is commanding us to come to Him. So the question we have is, by what authority should we come? Notice verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus Christ is asserting his deity. Jesus Christ is fully God with with every bit of power and authority. He's completely God with the authority over our salvation. All things have been given to him. From the very beginning of time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they are one, complete, with all authority. Jesus says, verse 27, I have all authority. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. God has granted all authority to God the Son. God the Father granted all authority to God the Son. So when Jesus says, come to me, we must listen and respond and know that God has the power to radically save us. John 17, verses 1 through 3, when Jesus had spoken these words, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, 
listen to this, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So the context of the invitation is that Jesus Christ has all authority. And he reveals the Father. And so as, as followers of Christ, for those of us that by God's grace have, have responded and by God's grace have come to Jesus, it's important for us to look at 25, verses 25, 26, and 27 and make sure that we embrace those same attitudes. It, to make sure that we praise God, our adoration is consistent. That we praise God that he has all power and all authority over our salvation. He is worthy to be worshipped for that alone. But not only is our adora- should our adoration be consistent with God, but our affections should be consistent. When Jesus says of the Father that that was his good pleasure to conceal and reveal, we as followers of Christ must delight and worship and adore and love the fact that God is sovereign over salvation. It is not something for us to be squeamish about and, if, and to apologize for, but it is for us to praise God and adore, and our affection should be such that, oh God, it is your pleasure that you have salvation, that you are sovereign. Praise the Lord. So as we consider this doctrine, as we consider Romans 9 and 10 and 11, so many other places in Scripture, we delight in the fact that God, God softens our heart, God hardens our heart, but it is God that receives the glory for all of that. But then, lastly, not only our adoration and our affection, but because God has the power, And because the invitation has gone out, our allegiance should be to Jesus Christ, to God. Notice verse 20, the end of verse 27. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. But Jesus says, come to me. And so we have had this invitation to come to Jesus. Now let's look at this a little bit more. Let's look at verse 28. So the context, we can be confident that God is, will deliver on his promise. But what is verse 28 saying? It's come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And he's saying, come now, leave your, self, your self-relying efforts, your worldly pursuits, and come to me. Now that command, come, it's, it's, it's strikingly simple, but yet it's strangely difficult. The simplicity of, the, of this command is striking. I mean, a list our flesh would want in the flesh, we would want a list of rules. It's like, well, that can't be. How can Jesus offer eternity to us? How can Jesus, in one, in one statement, by coming to him, how can he 
do that? Shouldn't I do things? Shouldn't I have to earn that salvation? And so in the flesh, we, we want to earn his salvation. But the invitation is simply come to believe, to trust him. It's strikingly simple because Jesus offering access into his presence is asking us to bring nothing. In fact, we can't. If we bring anything thinking that we are going to earn favor, we are bringing too much. Jesus says, come to me. For all who are he- heavy burden. So why is it strangely difficult? Well, we think more of ourselves. It's strangely difficult because we often think more of ourselves or we think more of our problems. We think more of ourselves in that, oh, that's too simple. I, I'm, more, I'm, I'm more sophisticated than that. It can't just simply be by believing in, in Jesus Christ my sins can be forgiven. We think of ourselves as too sophisticated, too important, or too respected by others to simply yield to Jesus Christ. But it's also strangely difficult because we think more of our problems. We look at our own sin. We look at what we've done in the past or our thought, thought life, and we become paralyzed and think, clearly, I have sinned, out, out sinned the grace of God. Clearly, that is not, does not apply to me. It only applies to some of these others that I see that seem like their life's together. We think more of our problems. They're too complicated or too personal. Or we would just rather carry them. It's like, no, Jesus, you can't really mean for me to give your, our, my problems to you that you would carry them. Well, John 6, 37, because of the grace of God, it is humanly impossible. But John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That is the promise that we come to Jesus, he will not cast us out. And the picture that, that is a, it's just a picture of how that happens is when Jesus called Lazarus. In John chapter 11, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's important to realize that Lazarus was dead. He was dead for days. And yet Jesus says, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is offering rest for our souls. He's offering life. At his words, come to me, all of our sins can be covered. We just believe in that promise or in that invitation. When we think of burden, the idea of being burdened is is those that we are experiencing an exasperatingly hard work. In fact, Matthew 23, verse 5, the Pharisees were one that would want to heap this, these laws and regs, regulations on people. Matthew 23, verse 4 says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And so 
Jesus yet contrast that to Jesus. Jesus is, is, says, come to me, everyone who is heavy laden. For those of you that are struggling, struggling with addiction, weary of caring for, and feel hopeless on caring for a dear family member, concerned about the horrific and terrifying and exhausting effects of a disease, Jesus is saying, come. A parent who is brokenhearted over their child, consistent attitudes, decisions, and devastatingly painful words that a child can respond to that parent. It's easy for parents for us to feel overwhelmed, but Jesus is saying, come. You may have squandered your family's wealth and feel inadequate. Jesus says, come. Maybe it's fearful of the unknown. Jesus saying come but ultimately for all of us Jesus is saying come to those of all of us who are, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Jesus says come and he will give us rest now notice though look at verse 29 take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So what is the cost? What is the ask again? Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. It's nothing for us to do other than trust Jesus. Yield to Christ. Believe that Jesus is king. When you think of a yoke, the Old Testament is often used in this way. It symbolized this this sinfulness or the burden of a master a yoke is also you know a piece of wood that that you know assist you place it on the backs of of burden beasts of burden that assist in the load and carrying the load this yoke is too heavy it's impossible for any of us to carry the yoke of our sin but jesus is saying turn your allegiance from the world and give it to me. Give your allegiance to Christ. We actually had this verse read just a few minutes ago, and I don't remember talking to Wes about this, but 2 Corinthians 5, for our, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A yoke is a metaphor, again, for kingly authority. And Jesus is asking us, just come to him and acknowledge him as your king. You know, the world offers a lot, but it's costly. Glamour, fame, wealth, prestige, power. For a moment, all of those are enticing. All of, this, all of those things for the moment can seem like they would satisfy us, but we know over time that they, they fail us. And ultimately, we're left with the burden of who we are, sinners in the hands of a holy God. So the way of the Son of God is giving life and light through Jesus Christ. Look at, look at the next one. Take my yoke 
but also learn from me. This learn from Jesus, the more we just read the scripture, the, lo- the more we learn from Jesus, the more we'll see that his commandments are not burdensome. Learn has the idea of, you know, it's being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to be taught by Jesus, to trust his word, to, to learn from his life, to, to imitate his life. But ultimately, it's to place our faith in his work and not our own. Again, the same word, we're going to look at, Lord willing, next week, but this idea of learning, it's to be a disciple. And so once we come to Jesus, we, by the grace of God, we trust him, soak him up, and the more we know of Jesus, the, just the, he changes our affections again so that we love the things that God loves and hate the things that he hates. And this is not strange for Jesus to ask us to reorient our lives such that we learn from Jesus. This idea of learning from someone, we are accustomed to that. That makes sense to us. Many of us here right now are more than likely, many of you are here or you've come to the area because you wanted to learn from someone. Many of us have come because we we wanted to study under a professor at a prestigious university here in the Triangle. We have many people year after year that we have the joy of getting to know at First Baptist Durham because they're coming. They're relocating their lives so that they can study under fantastic medical professionals. And so people relocate their lives so that they can be in an area where they can learn we have, we have men and women often that are, that are, and we have them now that are serving under a fellowship, have left everything, have le- you've left your home, you've, left, you've, you've packed your bags, driven your vehicle, and replanted here in the triangle because of that. Very personally, my wife and I, on a human level, we're here because, again, similar reasons. We were excited for I, I wanted to be trained at a seminary. I was eager to come to Southeastern. So we relocated for the purpose of learning. And then again, we're here at First Baptist because we were eager to learn under someone who would faithfully preach the gospel. So that idea of learning makes sense. Jesus is asking us, commanding us in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so it's worthy. Jesus is worthy to reorient our entire lives so that we can learn at his feet. To make sacrifices that are necessary to understand more of who he is. Now notice, look at the character. Look at Jesus. He says, learn from me why, for I am gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. This Jesus is gentle. He's, com- he's compassionate. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, the scripture says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. The way of the world is wide, but the way of Jesus is through, through, to God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's asking us to come to him, and he's saying that he is gentle, 
He'll care for us. He knows everything about us, and he is lowly. In Philippians chapter 2, the ultimate beautiful picture of Jesus and his humility and how he demonstrated that is Philippians 2, when the scripture says who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being, found, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So his humility has purchased our salvation. His kindness leads us to repentance. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it's, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Jesus is inviting us to come. He's promising that he will give rest, and Jesus is gentle. Another word for this is meek. Meekness is, again, don't misunderstand this gentleness or meekness for weak, being weak or, or weakness. It's strength under control, channel for the glory of God. Again, contra- contrast that to the religious Pharisees who pi- pi- uh, piled burdens upon burdens upon people. In Acts 15.10, the Scripture says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of your disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Jesus is humble. He is gentle, and he asks us to learn from him. And he has the authority and the right to give us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So last, let's look at the claim. Matthew eleven twenty nine. You will find rest for your souls, in verse 30. For my yoke, it's easy. My burden is light. As we'll find rest through faith in Jesus Christ. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That is the invitation that Jesus is offering, that he's commanding for us to hear and to respond, come to Jesus. It's for every one of us. In 1 Peter 5, Scripture says, cast all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. And so by the grace of God, as we think about this invitation, let us just humble ourselves and come to Christ. I want to share just a, a story, an analogy, or a picture of what this might look like. Imagine a family. Their custom around, is, it's around Christmas, their custom is to, to gather. It's not just an immediate family, though. You have the grandkids there, you have grandparents there, you have aunts and uncles, so it's a big family gathering around Christmas. And the pattern there is, is actually, just imagine your mind's eye, it's the, it's the day or two after Christmas, the family gives time for, to celebrate Christmas, and then they come together, a little bit more extended family. And, and it definitely includes football and feasting and, and gift-giving. And so the evening, everyone comes together, and, and, the, tra- and the, the, tra- the tradition there is to, to exchange gifts. And so there in this, in this story, there's a, a five-year-old 
let's say five to six-year-old, let's say later five, early six, because he understands what's going on. And his grandfather is there, and, and he knows that his grandfather just loves football. And so for, for the gift, the, the, the five-year-old grandson goes off to the, to the room, the side room that has all the arts and crafts for the, for the day or two event. There's, and he, he spends time that morning and that day making a, a piece of paper. He puts a lot, he puts, you know, these two, um, two helmets on the piece of paper. He, he makes the, the invitation. He makes the ticket. He puts, he wraps it up. And later on that evening, when it's time to exchange gifts, the grandchild takes his gift and gives it to, to his grandfather. His grandchild says, Grand, I know that you, I just know you're going to love this gift. I know you, you love, you love football. You're just going to love this gift. So the the, the grandson gives the gift to the grandfather. The grandfather unwraps the gifts and, and sees two homemade, five-year-old crafted, art, the artistic of his five-year-old grandson. He finds not one, but two tickets to the Super Bowl. On those tickets, it says, it's, it spells out Super Bowl in a five-year-old's mind. It has the, what looks like a football, and then it has in front of the grandson father, the, the five-year-old grandson looking up ear to ear grinning and saying, Granddad, I just really want this to be special. I want to watch the Super Bowl with you next month. You can imagine the joy and the, the impact that that would have on a grandfather. You can imagine the joy of, of giving that gift as a grandson. But you also can imagine not one moment is there any misunderstanding of what that ticket will do. Fast forward 10 years later. Same family. The grandson is 15, going on 16. The grandfather, it's time for the grandfather to give a gift to the grandson, and the and grandfather gives the gift, gives you the grandson, and says, son, I think, grandson, I think you're going to love this. The grandson opens up the gift and finds two Super Bowl tickets. The grandfather says, grandson, I've always wanted to go with you to watch the Super Bowl. At that moment, both of them communicate. Both of it are a real invitation. They both communicate love. But it's clear that, that, that the grandfather had the ticket and would actually give access to the Super Bowl. So the reason I, I share that story, it's, there's times that we take this invitation and we look at Jesus and we think of Jesus, oh, that's cute. That's nice. But truly, he can't, that just doesn't apply to me. My sin, again, as I opened up with, my sin is too great. And we think that for a moment that he really doesn't have the power and the authority to deliver on the promise of eternal life, to give hope for eternity. So we look at Jesus, as if possibly a five-year-old ticket. It's like, oh, this is nice. But instead, we need to understand that when Jesus says to come to me, he has all authority. All authority has been given to him. All of it has been entrusted to him. And the fact that, as we learn in verse 26, that it is the Father's good pleasure to open up and reveal salvation to us, we need to hear this invitation 
as it is genuine and it is effective. And the promise is if we come to Jesus through faith, it is his good pleasure to open our eyes and he will deliver on the promise of eternal salvation and rest for our souls. That it will give true freedom. That will give us freedom for eternity. And so this morning, as we close in prayer, just consider the invitation that Jesus says to come. For those of us that have come to Jesus years ago, heed the invitation to take up, to take up his cross, to take up his yoke, to give Jesus your yoke, and heed the invitation of learning from Jesus. Also, let's pray in advance of next week that we will also have the delight and the joy to share that invitation with others this very week. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you and we are so humbled the fact at the work that you have accomplished on the, cro- on the cross. Father, we acknowledge that you have all authority and all power. Lord, we acknowledge that you have the power to conceal and reveal. Lord, we delight in the fact that that is your good pleasure reserved for you and you alone. Father, we delight in the fact that you have offered your salvation to us. We thank you that your invitation is simply to come to you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that not only are we to come, but we thank you for the promise that you will deliver once we come to you, that you will give us rest for our souls. Lord, open our eyes. Father, help us to see you clearly. Give us a a, a taste and a desire to learn from you the rest of our lives. And Lord, we also pray that that invitation to come will be so impactful for us that we would enjoy sharing that invitation to those that you put in our path. We give you the glory. All praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.